Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community. And that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. 
Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Any parents that are out there, and I wish I'd known this when I was a young dad, but uh, when my boys were acting up, you know, do the, okay, go to your room, have a timeout. It's actually the worst thing to do. <laughs> so number one, I'm teaching them to isolate. And number two, from a neurological point of view, because there's no stimuli, there's nothing there, they actually will spin. Your, your child will go into their head, and whatever that event is that got them all riled up is actually going to be you know, two, three, four, five times worse in the next 10 minutes or next half hour. So from a neuroscience point of view, when they're acting up and not doing well, say, stop. And you need to go outside, get on a bicycle. You go play baseball, get on a swing set. You need to move your body and I'll talk to you in 10 minutes. Come back and see me or I'll come and find you. And if they have 10 minutes of movement, shoot a basketball, play ball hockey, play football, play baseball, whatever that is. And parents, if you want to go join them and do that, and 10 minutes later, you will have a very different receptive young girl or young boy to then begin to teach. Not scold and not shame, teach. But the first thing you have to do is you've got to break that pattern, that fit that's going on, that's irrational. Don't try and deal with somebody in a rational state. The best way to change that, even and then it goes for you and me too, Serena, when, when we're feeling... <laughs> Well, when we're feeling totally pissed off, I yeah. would tell you, go for a run, go to the gym. Yeah. When you hit writer's block, stop writing, mm -hmm. go to the gym. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Dave, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Oh, it's a pleasure and an honor to be with you, Srini. Yeah. So I found out about your work because your publicist wrote in and told me a little bit about what you guys do, all of which we will get into. Uh, but I want to start with a question that I think is is quite relevant given the nature of your work. And that is, what, if any, religious or spiritual background were you raised with and how has that informed your life as an adult? Oh, wow. There's a question for you to start. Um, so my personal background, um, I am a Catholic and uh, practicing Catholic in much one might say loosely, but but am and um, but bigger than bigger than my religious background and upbringing. Um, I'm really a man of faith and spirit, and I and I believe that that goes far beyond any discipline of religion, and for all of us. And uh, I don't I don't really care if you're Jewish or. Muslim, Christian, doesn't it doesn't matter. This is about um, our spirit is our laughter, our smile, our connection with others. Um, our faith is, uh, um, I guess, some inward belief that there's things bigger than us out there. 
And uh, I certainly can't define all of those answers. I'll leave that to other people. So, um, yeah, that's that's what really drives me is more of my spirit and my internal faith. Mm-hmm. Where did that come from? Uh, is this something your parents instilled in you early on, or was it your your sort of own journey of, of self-exploration? Because I, I think I was joking with somebody the other night, and I said, you know, spirituality is, in my mind at this point, just an adult attempt to fix all the things your parents fucked up. <laughs> like, that's now becoming my definition of spirituality. Like, yeah. I realize, like, that's what all of this seems like. Your spiritual quest is really an attempt to undo all the damage your parents did. I, you know... I got to tell you, I had a, a marvelous young childhood, uh, certainly some struggles in teen and early adult years, uh, but that was me losing my way more than finding my way. Uh, mm-hmm. And yet I wouldn't go back and do any of that over again. So what, what would be the influence? Be my family, be my parents. Um, yeah. uh, without, without question, and both my mother and my father are, um, brought very different aspects of life to me and uh, my father's a gregar- was a very uh, very gregarious outgoing irish storyteller he was an educator and 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 as i look back now i didn't realize how much he's shaped my current life my adult life uh, but he's mm-hmm. an educator by trade cared about others gave to others wanted to shape and help others um that's kind of the field that i've stepped into and uh, a great visionary a uh, great communicator and a big heart. And my mother really kept us all together, was the glue for all of us. Um, uh, incredibly strong woman um, and and really helped polish all of us. And, and my brothers have also been, they're, they're pretty distinguished in their own right, my two brothers. So I I, mm-hmm. I, I directly attribute all of that in, in my character uh, to my parents, my family, and my family goes bigger than that too. The influences there and and the experiences I was given as a young young lad uh, also helped shape me. Yeah. What was the narrative about mental health around your house growing up, if there was one? No, there wasn't one. I mean, I remember my my grandmother. Uh, I was gonna, sorry, my grandfather um, got Alzheimer's, but I was a little, little you know young guy, 10, 12 years old. I didn't know much about. It. I just knew he didn't remember anybody. I remember my mom being very sad. Uh, but other than that, I mean, you're talking, um, I was born in the 60s, so you're talking the 70s and the 80s. There, there wasn't anything about mental health discussions there, or even knowledge, in, you know, in, in our society and culture. As a sports guy, I mean, if you, you play football, hockey, and you got knocked out, it was you were, if you t- took a shift off or missed a few plays, that's about all you got. You get your bell rung, let's go. So mental health, brain health. Uh, wellness, I think culturally was not known about or discussed about at all. And so I uh, certainly have evolved in my understanding and thinking of that in my adult years. Mm -hmm. So the reason I asked that is in the Indian culture, mental health is incredibly stigmatized. Uh, And, you know, in, in just hearing you answer that question, I realized I don't think that this is isolated to, you know, Indian culture, the fact that there wasn't one. Uh, you know, a narrative about this growing up for you tells me that there is this incredible stigma to it. And I don't think that, you know, we've entirely shaken the stigma. I think that we're starting to. Uh, and unfortunately, I think it's taking things like founder suicides to talk about it in the entrepreneurial community. People like Jerry Colon over at Reboot are doing amazing work around this. And I, I wonder, like, why do you think that we have this stigma uh, around this? And, and what do we do to get out of it? Great question. 
the deep question. First of all, I think it goes beyond just the Indian culture. I know that uh, we've we've had the pleasure to work with um, Indian families, Im- immigrant families, and uh, I know that culturally they have difficulty wrapping their head around some of the conversations that I have with them, but they they do their best in, in learning. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's it's not just them. I mean, um, a lot of the Europeans that we that have immigrated that we work with uh, struggle with that as well. Uh, so, um, and also some of the some of the people out of Asia struggle with this accepting that there's no difference between a a heart or a liver or a brain that is in a dysfunctioned, imbalanced state. So why then is this perception, which I think is globally, and even in Canada and the United States, it's, it's certainly there's pockets of people and education levels where people accept it and others don't. Character mm-hmm. defect. Come on, just kick him in the rear end. Let's go. Tell Johnny, let's get out of bed. Let's roll. Well, if Johnny could get out of bed, he would get out of bed. I mean, fundamentally, you're going to get me fired up here, Serena, because fundamentally, this is how I got into this business. I'm an educator by trade, a coach, an educator, a mentor, a leader of people by trade. And I guess I followed my father's footsteps. And I remember running around dormitories as a young, you know, three, four, five-year-old. So this has been in my blood for my life. And I don't believe anybody wakes up in the morning and says, I can't wait to fail a math class. I can't wait to go to work and get fired. I can't wait to be a failure. I can't wait to get more bills that I can't pay. And yet it happens over and over and over. And then some people do learn, um, learn helplessness and other things happen and the, the capacity changes. So some people learn to quit because it's a lot easier sometimes to quit than it is to put yourself out there. But why mm-hmm. the different acceptance? I have to believe that that's because of science and medicine. We have, we have had the capacity to look at a heart and a liver and a lung, blood tests, enzyme tests, kidneys. We've had the capacity to look at that from a scientific point of view for um, decades longer than we've understood the brain. My PhD right now is in, in neuroscience and psychology uh, at a Canterbury University in the UK. And what we now know about the brain is, God, we're so early. I mean, the neuroplasticity has been accepted in, in neuroscience for 20 years or less, despite the fact that Marion Diamond discovered it in, and uh, um, her experiments were uh, replicated in the 60s because it was a woman in the 60s. Her, her findings were dismissed. And so if a brain is the organ that is causing people to feel depressed or anxious, um, if the brain is the organ, by definition, the brain is the organ that causes people to crave substances or, or self-destructive behaviors. We can only just start to measure and see and map a brain. And most people have yet to fully embrace and understand how important brain function is towards mental health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one thing I, I wonder uh, is... Well, let, well, talk me through how you actually got to doing this work, because the the thing that I think that is really always interesting to me is the path that led somebody to where they're at. And the one commonality I seem to find between every single person I talk to is that it's not linear. And I'd imagine yours is kind of the same. God, it's not even close to being linear. I don't, and welcome to life. And that's the, that's the exciting part of life. So if yeah. you don't mind, I'm going to answer it in twofold. 
I'm going to tell you yeah, how please. I'm going to tell you like how the kind of the, the evolution of of what I actually do. And then as I look back years later, I'm, there were some things in my life that shaped me that I didn't realize impacted these choices and decisions. So in school, I struggled in school, struggled greatly in school. And actually, my mother, who keeps everything, I read some of the younger report cards and I was called lazy and unfocused and, and all those things. And yet on the sports field, Dave excelled, captain of teams and all that stuff, and and did real well. And I could remember a football playbook, but I couldn't remember a poem. And I didn't understand that. And, of course, there's a lot of shame about that. My father, uh, uh, as the educator he was, didn't understand things like dyslexia and learning challenges back in the 70s. But all of a sudden, we came across that, and we found out that Dave's brain didn't work great. So this is important because it's now begun to shape where I'm at. Um, I'll fast forward a little bit that that he found something called the Tomata system, which is an auditory feedback from a French doctor. And the Tomata system fundamentally was working to try and rewire a brain. And I'm talking 1981, 82 is when I was doing it. So I think Dr. Tomatis developed it in the mid 70s, I would guess. I don't know the, num- the, the date on that. So here I am, in, you know, as a young guy playing junior hockey in Canada and I'm after high school and I'm doing this during the days to try and rewire my brain to work better. That's pretty cutting edge in 1981, 82. Um, and uh, <laughs> my father's passed, but I got to give him credit on that. And, and if he was around, I may not because I wanted to bust, bust his chops a little bit. But um, that was a that was a shaping moment. Did it have a dramatic impact on my ability academically? No, it didn't. So let's fast forward now a while later. I've got my bachelor's, my master's. I'm working in private schools, and I've worked in some of the uh, elite private schools in Canada, the United States. And I'm at a school in Western Canada, and I'm getting a little frustrated because kids who are making bad choices, smoking weed, drinking, are being asked to leave the school. And then I'm also seeing some teachers struggling with learning challenges in the classroom. And as a, as a school administration, we're trying to figure out how best to support some of these kids who are good kids, but struggling on the, in the classroom and excelling in other areas of their life. And I just used to say um, to Susan, my wife, we used to have teas and coffees in the morning over this is why can't we change a brain? Because fundamentally, I just went, well, I know addictions are related to a brain and brain functioning. We all know that. And we know learning challenges are. And by the way, at this point, this is nine, this is uh, 2009, probably. Uh, I'm, not ta- I'm not even thinking of depression, anxiety. I'm just thinking, well, how can we help kids at school? And how can we change their behaviors and patterns and urges and learning? Oh, let's, can we, why can't we change the brain? And while traveling for the school, I saw Dr. Daniel Amen a neuropsychiatrist out of the Amen Clinics. Never knew such a thing existed, 2009. And I went, oh my God, here's a guy saying you can change your brain. Well, that began what is now my vocation. It's not even a career. It's a vocation for me and my love for the brain and how powerful it is and, and how it really um, impacts every area of our life. And that began a series of events where I know how to educate and lead and motivate people. I can run a residential program quite easily, um, communicate with people. And then it was about, well, wait a minute, if we can change a brain, why don't we look into this? And that began my journey in both brain health 
as well as therapeutic wellness and psychology, uh, lifestyle, and began to pull all these different modalities together and put them under one roof and, and went, presto, look what we got. And that's when we began to help people. We started back in 2011. Wow. So you know, I think the interesting thing about it is, you know, you're told at a fairly young age that your brain doesn't work. And one of the things I think is always interesting is the imprints that uh, what we're told when we're young leave on us, right? Uh, so, for example, my grandfather, I still, my dad's father, uh, went and he told my mother and my dad that my sister was the smarter of the two of us. And of course, my parents were livid about that. Uh, and I never thought the guy thought much of the guy after that either. Uh, you know, but it, it's funny because like I, I what I wonder about is in your life, what did that imprint do to you? And more importantly, how are you able to let go of that identity? Well, I think we all get the imprints. I mean, my brothers would say they've been imprinted too. Um, no one had to say that my brothers were smarter than me. That was just a known fact. If you looked at if you looked <laughs> yeah. at the grades and uh, one of my brothers graduated as a valedictorian and 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 went on a law school and has had a tremendous career. And my other brother uh, was bored at school. That's how good he was at it. Um, and has created a tremendous life himself uh, and very, very successful. So, it, it, and yet I have been equally successful, but in a very different avenue than the two of them. And the imprint there is that although I struggled in school, I excelled in other, I learned to adapt in other areas. And I'm, I've embraced this in my, my, my mature years here is that I'm able to read people and see people. I mean, at one point, my dad was so struggling for schools for me. I went to uh, nine schools my first 10 years of schooling. From grades one to 10, I went to nine schools. And my father's an educator. And he would say, wait a minute, that's the worst thing to do. But they were, they were searching for a place and an environment for Dave to succeed. Never happened. And that's when we began to learn about dyslexia and brain and brain cognitive function issues when I was in high school and post high school. So up until then, they were doing their best. So what did I learn? I learned how to, how to um, communicate with people, how to read people, how to be able to be part of a group quite quickly. Um, you know, I just, I learned to be grounded with myself, happy with myself. So the, there's a, there's a uniqueness in some of the, uh, one, one might say the shortcomings I find, I find now back when I look back, there is tremendous development and opportunity and character being developed, um, which has helped me and served me in my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's funny because I, I realize now many of the things that were my greatest weaknesses and greatest liabilities in previous careers were, are, are the greatest, my greatest strengths as an author. Like as somebody who has attention issues, it's like, wow, I can do intense amounts of work in, you know, a short amount of time because of that. And I have to work like that. Whereas, you know, put that, put me into a, a place where I have to be at a desk for eight hours a day. And that's a huge liability. Uh, so I guess there are two questions that come from this. Uh, one is, is how does a person take what they perceive to be a liability and turn it into an asset? Um, and then the other thing is, is, you know, you know, we'll start kind of making our way into this whole idea of depression and, and rewiring, but where does this whole concept of depression even come from? Like, uh, how do we get to this point where we're depressed enough that we have to go and take medicine or we have to end up at a facility like yours? 
and I'll, how much I'll, of it I'll is go, I'll go a step further. how much of it is brain chemistry? Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. A, I'll go a step further. How do we how do we fall into the depths and the darkness of um, depression and take our own lives? Yeah. So, so that's even a step further, and that's a reality. That's that's not that's not an overstatement. I'm not. I'm not I, I have unfortunately been uh, know too many people where where that has happened, no. and and I think probably we all know somebody or connected there. But your questions were twofold. How do we get to that depression? And the first one, um, how do we take those challenges and turn them into gifts, or 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 how do we see them as gifts? That I know now more than I did years ago. All I can say is, you know, before I just tend to do the things I liked and I tend to, to avoid the things I hated. Um, and so it took me quite a while to get my bachelor's degree because I would start school. I really wanted to go to school and, you know, I just wouldn't follow through with it, but I would excel in other areas of my life. And so um, I, I think just by by life, I moved in a, in a, in places and ways where I was successful. I found those for me, or whether that's relationship work wise or otherwise, when it came time to finally with school, um, it was simply having a buckle down because I wanted something. So here's what I began to do with, without knowing it. And it works is that the moment we focus on what we have and our gifts and the moment we're grateful for that, that's the moment we stop thinking about our shortcomings and focusing on the things that we don't want. So I, I'll take it a step further. The moment Dave went, I am going to do whatever I need to do, whatever I have to do to get my bachelor's degree. I got my bachelor's degree because I focused on what I wanted and I wanted the bachelor's degree. And I stopped focusing on how difficult it was to read, learn and retain information and how many and how many hours to rewrite things. And the moment, I, I really believe this for all of us, the moment we embrace that to focus on what it is we want and then bring gratitude to that, that you, you no longer have any deficiencies because you're just focusing on the good things. Mm -hmm. Okay, so a couple of questions uh, from that. When, have you ever thought about killing yourself? Yeah. Dark period. Yeah. Can you take us deeper into it? Yeah, we'll go there. Here's why. First of all, I'm, I'm never risk adverse, and and <laughs> and the other thing is, if if some of this helps people, um, uh, that's a, that's a that's a blessing. Um, early twenties, failing at at you know university. I mean, it took me thirteen years to get my bachelor's degree. I think I, I think I came out of university five times in a four-year period. Start, stop, start, stop. And uh, life was tough. And, you know, felt I was uh, a failure and believed I was a failure. I, and as I look back, I was in a depressed state. There's no doubt about it. And I turned to substances to get to self-medicate and get relief. But when those things wore off, it was only worse. And so there's a lot of dark thoughts that were associated with that, that I had to fight off. And that came from what we talked about earlier, Serena, which is, which is my faith and um, a little bit of spirit, but more than, more than that, just faith 
and also my love for my family. And that, that pulled me through uh, a very dark period where I was thinking of uh, some not, not very good results. The reason I asked is one, uh, I feel like that this is way more common than we think, at least people having thoughts of it. I know I have plenty of times, uh, you know, where I'm just like, wow, this is, you know, sort of an all is lost moment. Like, what am I going to do? Uh, and it's, so I think the, the other part of this is, as a, you know, you, you kind of want to look at like how much of this is circumstantial and how much of this is just the way somebody is wired. Because I feel like mine has always been circumstantial. <laughs> okay. I'll play. Tell me the circumstances. Well, okay. One of two things, either money or relationships or romantic relationships that end or don't go anywhere or whatever it is. Both of those things have been sources of immense amounts of stress to the points where I've thought, okay, you know what? Like this is a way out. Uh, and, you know, obviously I've, I've never part of my, my thought process is like, I've never followed through on it. Cause I was like, wow, that sounds like it would hurt to hell with that. I have no tolerance for pain. Uh, you know, it, it's it, like the thought has crossed my mind. And so as somebody who does this work, I, I really wonder, you know, what, like basically how much of this is, is circumstantial and, and, you know, uh, because here's where that, that question comes from. Jerry Colonna and I were talking the other day. One of the things he said, if you look at, you know, founders or people who are artists, they tend to couple their self-worth with their enterprise or the success of their enterprise or lack thereof. And that's a slippery slope because you can't necessarily control that, right? Like if my mental well-being is dependent on how many people buy my books, that's a recipe for disaster. I don't think it does. I think your self-worth might, but yeah. not your mental health. And, and, I'll, and I'll touch on that in a moment. Um there's, there's no doubt. I mean, Facebook knows this. They engineer this, um, you know, with the thumbs and the likes that, mm -hmm. that they create this dopamine response in a brain uh, yeah. that drives people to overuse this platform and, and in some cases really harm their life. But I want to back up a little bit. You talked about relationships and money. And then you mm -hmm. use a great word, which I was thinking about, is stress. Yeah. I'll, I'll add emotional pain. But Here's the thing about our nervous system. Our nervous system does not distinguish the difference between emotional pain and physical pain. So whether you're chased and nearly eaten by a saber-toothed tiger many years ago, or whether you're absolutely crushed and destroyed, and, and, and whether that's financial or, or relationship-wise, it's the same thing. There's, a, there's an emotional stressor here and not a physical stressor, but... But we have one nervous system, and that nervous system does not distinguish between, oh, that's physical pain, oh, that's emotional pain. And that's something something to, to hang on to for a moment, because now that brain, which is the center of it, it's, it's the computer for the nervous system, that brain can be knocked out of balance as a result of stress or pain. So I, wanna, I want you to visualize for a minute, and, and we've seen these, we've all seen these animal shows on TV. The antelope, or you know, is out in the safari and it's running away from a lion or a tiger, and it gets away, and it's it's in a scattered state of fight or flight to survive. It's in a survival mode, and yet ten minutes later, it's grazing uh, in in a you know tall field of grass or having some water. In ten minutes later, it's calm. That's a wonderful thing that the brain goes into this 
called the sympathetic nervous system, a state of fight or flight. But it's a very high stress state for a brain. And then the brain is supposed to be plastic, neuroplasticity. The brain's supposed to release when the threat or the pain, finances, relationship, tiger, when it leaves us. And so we go into the state of homeostasis or balance. And the opposite to that, a reaction to a stressor is frozen. Is the parasympathetic dominant nervous system, someone who is emotionally frozen. So the same thing about a, a breakup, emotional, or a stress of, of, of finances can cause somebody to go an emotional ball, isolate, self-harm. And I'll, I can get into all those you know, in a little bit more. So it, yeah. it is, it, what you're feeling actually is more about brain health and the brain not releasing from a significant trauma or a significant loss in your life. And when you, when, so then, then you, here's what we do know in neuroscience is there are some things we can do to help someone through that from a physiological standpoint. This isn't about talking a brain healthy. That's like trying to talk your liver healthy. It's not going to work. Talk your heart healthy. Well, I would argue and others would too. They got to look at lifestyle for your heart. But the first thing you got to do is physiologically help it. Mm -hmm. Same thing for neurologically. Yeah. So let's get, let's get into that in, in detail. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you, you know, a question about self-harm because I remember after a particularly bad situation, um, I remember talking to this doctor who was an MD, but also did a lot of natural cures. And, and when I told her, I was like, yeah, I think I drank, you know, three fourths of a bottle of whiskey and smoked two packs of cigarettes in a day after something happened, she said, you're punishing yourself. Uh, and so given your background, like what is that all about? I don't know enough of that situation. That might be the case, but I could think of all sorts of other reasons too. Um, sure. you know, just numbing yourself and trying to avoid emotional pain. Um, yeah, yeah, so, so in that situation, she may be bang on. I wouldn't challenge it, but there could be a very, a variety of reasons of, why people do these self-destructive patterns of behaviors. But ultimately the reason why is neurologically you're looking for relief because, uh -huh. because alcohol changes the brain function. That's why we talk slower. That's why we lose our balance. It changes the brain. So if you have a brain that is, let's, let's talk about somebody who's stuck in a parasympathetic or sympathetic dominant state, somebody who's in a very high stress state, and they're constantly arguing, slamming doors, leaving. And when they drink, they have one drink, but then they have 10, 15 drinks or more. And the reason for that is, as, as if you think about taking a brick and put it on the gas pedal of a Ferrari engine, one of the best engines in the world, and it can take anything. But even that stress on a Ferrari engine is going to cause problems in time. And so the alcohol, we know, is classified as a depressant. It's a liquid depressant. And alcohol slows brain function. So that's like reaching down and slowly lifting the brick off the gas pedal. Well, that feels good. Give me more. And so what you're doing is taking an, a, a brain that is um, it, it's called asymmetric brain or symmetric brain that, that is in an imbalanced state where if you think of a teeter-totter, 
the big kid in the playground sits on it and the little kid sits up high. Well, that's your brain. It's in a very left side has very little energy. The right side in the, is in a sympathetic state, very high in energy. And then all of a sudden you give it alcohol and it calms it. Well, that's why that per, that person, you know, there's a lot of other reasons, but that person will probably overdrink because they're just looking for neurological relief. And in your situation, you're talking about that could be the answer is you wanted to bring relief to emotional pain and a neurological imbalance. Yeah. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, 
your business is always at your fingertips. How much of the emotional pain is a byproduct of past experiences or, you know, imprints that you get from your parents? Because one of the other things I feel like you go to therapy is you go and discover which parent is the one you have the most complicated relationship with. And that's the one that basically you mani- it manifests as all the other issues in your life until you come to the realization that this is this is the case. Well, that's an interesting that's, it is an interesting question. Yeah, you can do that. And um. The issue with that is now what? Now what do you do with it? Maybe yeah. it's maybe it's, maybe it's true. Uh-huh. And so and so where we come from is a state of okay, trauma has happened. I mean, yeah. what do we do in this world? Do we score people? Uh, I've I've had the honor to work with a young man who lost both parents. So now what? I mean, we've 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 worked with. I can't even tell you how many people have been sexually abused as children. And okay, but are you going to continue to give your life and your power away to that bad guy or to that bad event? Mm-hmm. Or what, what is it that you would like? Well, I want to be happy. I want to think of a woman who's been sexually abused and has a hard time having a relationship and trust. By the way, it happens with men too. It's, it's one of those unspoken things. We work, work with a lot of men as well. So let's take gender out of it. A person who's been who's been abused, sexually, wrongly touched, violated, and maybe even told a parent who hasn't protected them because they didn't want to deal with it for whatever reason, and that's a, that's another issue. Now they now they have a hard time with trust and relationships, and they crave a family and they crave love, but they blow it up every time, and they tell you that, and they know they do. So my question is: Is now what? First thing we have to do, though, is look at their brain that is still in a state of trauma. It's still traumatized by that event. Emotional or physical trauma can cause a brain to be in an imbalanced state, which then behaviorally has great impact on us. So first of all, physiologically, think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We have to start at the bottom, physiologically look at what's driving this, these behaviors and begin to help it. So there's lots of neurotechnology that are available. There's, there's food, there's, there's yoga, meditation, there's all sorts of things that we can do to begin to help bring relief and reset and rewire a brain. From there, though, from a coaching standpoint, uh-huh. um, it is about understanding what you want and moving forward from there. So let's talk about this idea of rewiring a depressed brain. Let's say that somebody is listening to you and I talk, uh, which people are obviously, um, and they're in a very depressed place. What can they do in terms of the you know physiological aspects that you're talking about? Like, how can they pull themselves out of this using the tools and technology that you guys have developed and your methodology for this? Well, the, the first thing is to embrace that we're talking about a functional imbalance, not a chemical imbalance. It is in, in, we've seen this in our work over, for over a decade, nearly a thousand people we've worked with. And you, you asked me about this too. When we first started this, we were really working more with people and with substance abuse and substance use issues, addiction issues, 
And that was probably 80% of our clientele and 20% had depression, anxiety. Now it's flipped in 10 years. 90% of the people that we work with have a combination of anxiety, depression, and then they're using substances. So, so what we do know, what we have found is a functional imbalance in the brain. It's, and we, it is not a chemical imbalance. And my only evidence to that, the people who say it is, is show me the test. What test is there in the world, neurological test, saliva test, urine test, blood test, to show the chemical deficiency? The president of the America, the APA, the American Psychological Association, has been on record saying, mm, there's really not a chemical imbalance issue. So the American Psychiatric Association, the president of the APA, um, that's a pretty big statement. So the first step for families and for the individual themselves is to understand we have a liver not functioning right, and in, in this case, a brain. So what we would do is physiologically help the liver or physiologically help the brain. So food is critical, uh, really, really important. The brain likes certain foods. The brain does not like other foods. A lifestyle issue is very important. Uh, I know that sleep is very challenging and, and people either can't sleep or oversleep and still are not tired. So we've got to work at resetting a circadian rhythm. We've got to look at use of technology and or not technology and unplugging. Technology overstimulates the brain massively. At the very least, two hours before regular bedtime, unplugging uh, all technology and get, getting away from blue light because it, because it, it tricks the brain that we don't prepare for sleep uh, like we normally do, and it thinks it's morning time, so our brain changes the chemical balance in the brain as a result of blue light. So it's so it really is something that we need to step away from. Exercise and movement. And it's a tough thing. Dave, you don't understand. I have depression. I can't get out of the house. I can't get out of bed. Well, there's a little bit of choice there in that what can we do movement-wise day one, day two, day three, and build from that? But movement and exercise has got, has been tested worldwide. Serena, it's been tested worldwide against SSRIs, which mm -hmm. have a black box label of suicide. A percentage of people who take SSRIs end up taking their lives as a result of that chemical. But exercise has been tested, and I can cite it. I don't have it with me right now. There's a, there's a study of Australia that shows that exercise alone outperformed all and any of the top SSRIs in overcoming depression. Mm -hmm. We don't yeah. hear that. There's no money involved in that. <laughs> exactly. And the other thing is food. So we mm -hmm. use an elimination diet. And an elimination diet is critical because how your body responds to food and how mine responds to food is very unique and different. And, and culturally and ethnically, um, everything comes into play here. And yeah. so, you know, how my family members respond to food and I is different. So mm -hmm. we use a, an elimination diet called Whole30 um, by Melissa. Uh, it used to be Hartwood. She's changed her name. You know, Melissa? I, I know the Whole30. Yeah, it's amazing. It's an amazing diet for 30 days. And then begin to reintroduce foods. And through exercise and food, I know, I've seen it. People have better sleep. People have... Uh, better bowel movements. Truly, the pipes are working better. Um, they have better energy levels. Their attention and focus is better. There's actually some hope 
instead of feeling helpless, there's hope. But it is it is important that it's done on a daily basis. And the whole 30 isn't done for five days a week. And then you take, oh, now you get treat days. No, you commit for 30 days. Just make a commitment for 30 days. See what that's like. And families, if you have somebody, everybody do it. Stop stop pointing a finger at somebody because, by the, by the way, the benefit for everybody, I'm in a human performance and human development. The benefit for the executive in doing this is amazing, as well as the person at home with depression. Mm-hmm. So it really is, it, it, it is a integrative solution. And it's interesting that we don't hear a lot about this. Um, well, I'll go a step further. Here's an example. Somebody's struggling with this and they go and see their psychiatrist or psychologist or therapist. They walk in and sit down and start talking about it, but they don't talk about what that person ate in the morning. So if you, if you had, you know, toaster waffles or pop tarts and you, and you drank, um, one of the Red Bull type drinks, your brain is going to be on fire. It's not going to be operating properly. There's too much sugar. There's, there's too many carbs. There's too much caffeine. And the brain doesn't do well there. And then the result is anxiety and depression. And yet if you wake up in the morning and drink water and you have a protein and some, some veg carbs, uh, you'll find that your mood is stabilized, which is your brain being more stabilized. You'll have better energy through the day make with good fats as well. So it really is using... Uh, some fundamental um, basic principles to help people overcome this from a functional or a physiological standpoint. Mm, wow. So, you know, I mean, we know all of this, right? Like you have the science to back it up. Uh, you know, you mentioned executives and in the workplace, and this is something that I thought about. I don't know if you've ever seen the TV show Billions. Uh, it's a, it's a, a Showtime show that's really fascinating, but they have an organizational psychologist on site at, the, at this hedge fund because of the fact that for, you know, when you're talking about that level of money, like a 1% increase in performance is the difference between, you know, 10 and 10, like it's just such a massive difference in terms of money. And when I, when I saw that, I thought to myself, why doesn't every company have an organizational psychologist or a life coach on site to like, you know, optimize performance? And you know, you mentioned the role that this plays in performance. Why is this not more prevalent in our schools, in our companies, uh, in all those places? Like, I, I realize big pharma probably plays a big role in all of that. And there's probably policy that gets in the way of this as well. Well, um, culturally, give me a pill. I, it takes me a second and a half to take. It makes me feel better. Yeah. Or, or really, I'm responsible for shopping and cooking and cleaning. So there, there's a there's also a behavioral thing here. Uh, that that is wired into humans to take the easy path, but I, I love. I didn't know about this, and, and you know, I love what you're saying. But if I was running a hedge fund, I'd have I'd have life coaches, I'd have exercise people, I'd have executive chefs. I would get rid of every candy and every piece of sugar. I mean, I'm in a beautiful office building. They got machines with you know sodas and and um, all the junk food and candy, and I'm looking at that. And going, wow. And there's people that head to that at about three o'clock every day because they need a boost. And, uh, you know, from somebody who has really created a career and dedicated a career to human performance, that's really what we're talking about. I go, oh, my God, don't you see what we could do if you ate and and drank? So it's not just what we eat. It's what we don't eat that's important. We've all heard the phrase. Um, you are what you eat. Well, that's only part of the story. You are what you eat eats. 
So if I eat, if I eat some beef, if I eat some chicken that has got steroids and antibiotics in it, yep, I'm eating that. And that's now that's processed into my body. So if I eat something that's clean, if I eat, if I eat a strawberry that's been sprayed, I don't know if you've ever seen people spraying. It's amazing. They put on the chem suits to spray fields. True story. But if you eat one of those things, now your body's got to process and filter out that poison, that toxin. So not only am I am I what I eat, I am what what whatever my food eats, I eat. And I want you to I want people to take that a step further and understand the value there. Uh, eating healthy is costly. No, actually getting sick and being ill and underperforming is costly. Feeling mm. depressed is costly in relationships and careers and jobs yeah. and happiness. It's funny you say that because like I, I used to hesitate to spend money on decent food and, and I realize exactly what you're saying. Like this is such a priceless thing in terms of performance. And even, you know, I, I go to a CrossFit gym and it's the most expensive gym I've ever belonged to, but I test my mood anytime I come out of there with this app called Gyroscope. And I always notice that no matter how hellish the workout is, um, which it is pretty much every time you go there, uh, my mood scores are like off the charts in terms of, of being better. In fact, it was a friend who told me that it had helped him with both sleep and depression issues that got me into that gym. How do you feel after you work out? I always feel amazing after I work out. I, I mean, I'm on, I'm just kind of, it's a combination of energized and calm. And I know this from having been a surfer as well. Like when I get out of the water, um, surfing is, is a whole different animal compared to CrossFit. Like when I get out of the water in a good surf session, I'm like ear to ear smile, like not a care and a worry in the world. I remember to this day, like when I got out of the water and cut away for the first time, I was like, oh my God, I want to feel like this way more often. Uh, I think that was down in South America, if I remember your story, right? Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. Costa Rica. Yeah, Costa Rica. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, that's, that's cool. You're correct. But You're surfing, correct. what's that? You're correct. It was actually in Brazil. So surfing is your bliss. Yeah, without a doubt. So you've, you've combined movement exercise with your bliss. For some people, their bliss is art. For some people, their bliss is singing, dancing, some it's reading. That's great. But also exercise changes our brain and it changes. First of all, we look better, but, but really from an, from a neurological point of view, please understand whether, whether people are, are struggling or not, this is an undeniable thing. Your brain controls everything about you. It controls your choices. It controls your sleep. It controls your bowels. Um, it, it, it controls how much money you have or debt you have. That's a brain thing. Your friends, your family relationships, and when your brain is out of balance, all of these things struggle. And when and when your brain is in a healthy state, these things flourish. And exercise is one of the things. So I want to give I want to give a tangible for parents, any parents that are out there. And I wish I'd known this when I was a young dad. But uh, when my boys were acting up, you know, do the okay, go to your room, have a timeout. It's actually the worst thing to do. So num- number one, I'm teaching them to isolate. And and then number two, from a neurological point of view, because there's no stimuli, there's nothing there, they actually will spin. Your, your child will go into their head, and whatever that event is that got them all riled up is actually going to be you know two, three, four, five times worse in the next 10 minutes or next half hour. And these, and this, you know, my my little boys, well, what happened? 
So from a neuroscience point of view, when they're acting up and not doing well, say stop. And you need to go outside, get on a bicycle, get on, go, go play baseball, get on a swing set. You need to move your body and I'll talk to you in 10 minutes. Come back and see me or I'll, go, I'll come and find you. And if they have 10 minutes of movement, shoot a basketball, play ball hockey, play football, play baseball, whatever that is. And parents, if you want to go join them and do that, and 10 minutes later, you will have a very different receptive young girl or young boy to then begin to teach. Not mm-hmm. scold and not shame, teach. But you first thing you have to do is you've got to break that pattern, that fit that's going on, that's, that's irrational. Don't, don't try and deal with somebody in a rational state. The best way to change that, even and then it goes for you and me too, Serena, when, when we're feeling totally pissed off, I yeah. would tell you, go for a run, go to the gym, put your, yeah. stop writing. When you, when you hit writer's block, stop writing, mm-hmm. go to the gym. I was just about to say that. I was thinking to myself, well, like you have this anxiety inducing experience that's related to like a bill that you weren't expecting or something. And I thought to myself, oh, I could use that not just for kids, but as an adult, I could use that. So I love hot yoga. It's my new bliss. Yeah. And I, I love hot yoga because I'm, an, I'm a former athlete, did a lot of different things. I love it because at the end of that, I get this huge puddle of sweat and I feel like I've had a hell of a great workout and it's wonderful for my body. Uh, I wish I'd found it years ago. Mm. but. But that is good for me. And if somebody's wants, somebody wants a really good date and they have a date coming up or an interview coming up, time it so you have a workout an hour before. No. Make sure you got enough time to have a shower and clean up, of course. But, but, but really, because that's going to change everything about your brain and your body, and you're going to be feeling great. You got a lot of mojo going on. Um, so it, it is that powerful. Mm. Noted. So, and you go to hot yoga before dates. <laughs> <laughs> and you may find a date at yoga. Who knows? Yeah. The brain, the brain loves oxygen. And exercising reoxygenates the brain. Mm. The brain loves good fats. And I underline good fats. So coconut oils, avocado oils, don't cook with avocado oil because you actually make it toxic. Um, so olive, olive oil. And you, you just drizzle it on salads and things and, um, and coconut oils, avocado oils, or, you know, um, Bulletproof has a great line of uh, some oils and MCTs. The brain loves that. Brain does well with that. Proteins. Brain loves proteins, clean proteins and water, mm-hmm. movement and sleep. You've got to get six, seven, seven, eight hours of sleep a night for your brain and, and, um, I actually have a, a, a sleep ring that I use, I, uh, the Aura Ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's, oh, I think it's uh, O-U-R-A, the Aura Ring. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit of an investment, but I've, we've, been, we've been looking for four or five years and trying everything. This is, this is the best product I've found for, uh, uh, and it's helped me manage my sleep, which is really important. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, this has been really, really uh, just, thought-provoking and eye-opening and, and insightful. It's, it's funny because like, I think that what's interesting is I've, I've heard different versions of different parts of this, you know, but I've never seen it put together in the way that you have holistically across diet, across our technology use, across exercise. Uh, and it's funny because it's not rocket science. It seems so damn obvious when you say it all. It, well, 
it, it, we haven't we haven't invented anything. What we've done is, if it's good for the brain, we've embraced it. So we we've been on a search for a decade, and we find all sorts of modalities. We use Eva meditation. Uh, we've talked about the whole thirty and yoga, exercise, and movement. Play play is so critical, and we adults forget to play. And you know, have a you know once a month do board game night. Uh, without the wine. By the way, red wine is not health, despite all things. Wine is not healthy, or alcohol is not healthy for the brain. It is a toxin. That's why it actually kills cells. It doesn't help the brain. Um, marijuana, you can use marijuana, but you're going to damage your brain. Mm. I want people to learn to love their brain. You want, <laughs> guys, gals, you want people to have brain envy. You really do. You, and you can create a bigger brain. So Marion Diamond actually, Serena, I'll just be real quick because I know we're wrapping up, but Marion Diamond in the 60s discovered that when you put a rat in a cage by itself and isolate it, that the brain actually shrinks in size. So she did the opposite. Then there's an enriched environment where there's friends, there's tunnels, there's toys, there's wheels, and and they put them in this, what they called rat park. And, and the rats... And there was love. They were picked up by people. The rat's brains grew in size. Welcome to neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity and neurogenesis. Neurogenesis is the ability for your brain to regrow cells. Neuroplasticity is the ability for your brain to rewire. So we are not stuck with the traumas. This goes back to your question. We are not stuck with the traumas, even if one of our parents treated us terribly. Even if we went through trauma, and everybody has... The good news that I get to share is you can change that, but you have to embrace a brain healthy lifestyle. Mm. Amazing. Um, well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us. Um, I have one final question for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews with the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes something or somebody unmistakable? I'm sorry, what was the question though, Serene? What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? What makes somebody unmistakable? Well, the, the only answer that comes the only answer that comes to me is is the is the answer that goes that I started with in 2009. The answer that I understood the question that I understood when I struggled in my life. And the thing that makes people unmistakable and enhances their creativity and their impact in this world is their brain. When somebody is struggling in life, I, I can, I can use a, a brainwave technique and technology. We can inspect imaging and I will show you a brain that is not functioning well. And when somebody is, has achieved true happiness and I'm not talking a financial success, although that's always good too. Um, but true happiness, I'll show you somebody whose brain is in a really balanced, optimal, harmonious state. So what makes people unmistakable is people who really focus on and live a brain-healthy lifestyle. Amazing. Well, uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and uh, share your insights with our listeners. Where can people find out more about you, your work, and everything that you guys are up to? 
I've got a LinkedIn page and all that stuff, but uh, really our, our company is called Emergo Recovery. Emergo is a Latin word to emerge or to rise above. E-M-E-R-G-O, recovery.com, uh, places to phone us, text us, email us, uh, reach out to us. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm happy to speak to anybody. Um, you know, and, and certainly if, if that's an individual thing with a family member or a loved one who's struggling, but maybe bigger than that about uh, corporations and companies, we're just starting to get into that. We've been asked to come into a company very similar to the one you talked about and, and uh, talk about some employee uh, benefits and, and healthy, healthy lifestyles and making changes there. So, um, you know, I, I'm, if I can share our knowledge and, and make an impact in this world with an individual or with a group of people, please reach out. Amazing. And for everybody listening, we'll wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.